Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we just speak a blessing over this message. We speak a blessing over the hearers of the message. Lord, we ask that the things you need them to take away would be heard, understood, absorbed, and carried with them throughout the entire day and as long as they need it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, fair warning, the title I'm about to throw up here is where we will be going. It's not where we are technically going today. Earthly and heavenly wisdom. Ooh. Discerning the two. Now, again, this is where I thought I was going. <laughs> I didn't get anything from the Lord until Wednesday. And I'm plugging along, writing stuff down. And then he asked me a question. And it changed the entire direction of this message to a rabbit trail. So we'll be getting into this next week. Mm, awesome. I love it. So, having said that, last week we covered taming the tongue. We covered the fact that flesh does not have the ability to tame the tongue. Flesh trying to control flesh just brings more death. We also covered the fact that it is Jesus who gives us the power to tame our tongue. It is he and he alone who gives us the ability to submit to him and in that submission bring our tongue under control. To do that, we have to be inside Jesus because you'll never do it outside of Jesus. Like it says right there, will not work outside of Jesus. And it puts us in a position of being slow into speaking, quick into hearing, and slow into wrath. Wouldn't it be slow into anger? The word there is wrath. Anger is an emotion that is okay to have. Anger with a judgment behind it is wrath. It's the judgment that you have to worry about. Because you can be righteously angry about something. If you go back to the, um, I believe it was Psalms, where David says, meditate in, in your bed and says, be angry and do not sin. That Hebrew word for be angry is often translate, translated as be in awe and do not sin. But the word itself, because Hebrew is such a pictorial language, it's actually saying experience every emotion that a human is possibly capable of experiencing but in that emotion do not sin so you can have a good fear and not be in sin you can have a righteous anger and not be in sin you can have a righteous joy and not be in sin because you're rejoicing over somebody else experiencing hardship or evil. So, that's what it's talking about. It's not just being angry. Because all too often, we as Christians tend to get into wrath, not just anger. That so-and-so in front of me cut me off in traffic and, oh, I hope you get pulled over by the cops. Well, we, we, we jump directly into wrath. Yes. Versus, I'm angry because you almost caused injury to me, 
you're potentially going to cause injury to somebody else. Over the years, I've noticed that my personal disposition has been changing from, you know, fine, go ahead, speed past me, cops are going to get you first, (laughs) to, well, you just switched three lanes to get around three cars without even signaling, Lord, protect this guy and protect everyone he is around because he is not (laughs) driving safely. You ought to ride with her sometime. He's constantly praying for all the other <laughs> And imagine how better the roads would be if everybody was praying for everybody. <laughs> and I'm telling you, with the way the roads are today in Colorado, you need the faith to make it from point A to point B. <laughs> So, our believing into Jesus is the key to the taming of the tongue. The world system can't help us, because the world system encourages flesh. And when we we believe into Jesus, we become rivers of living water. We bring refreshness and life to those around us. We become a well with no bitter water, because it said in James... A well cannot put forth bitter water and fresh water at the same time. That's not how a well functions. It's one or the other. Wisdom, good and bad. I'm proceeding with this teaching as I had started it out. I started to get into the whole wisdom thing, and that's when the Lord derailed it. So we are about ready to jump into that. Um, I've always um, felt We don't have wisdom, and probably won't for a while, and that all wisdom is directly from God at the time. I would not completely agree with that. There is a standard worldly wisdom of things you have learned through experience, experience. and those things are areas of wisdom you can apply to your walk in Christ. And then there's wisdom that comes directly from the Father in the moment. And there's also wisdom he gives you before you need it. And then there's the wisdom where you realize I'm about to step into something that I have no capability of handling or understanding. Lord, please give me wisdom. Are you allowed to tell us the question you were asked that caused you to change in direction? Yep. Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> I'm not going to just leave you guys hanging. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Wisdom, good and bad. In James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, the first word we're going to be looking at there is the word understanding. It is the Greek word epistemon, or overknowledge, knowledge from above. Epi always means over or superimposed on. Stamon is understanding. Next word is conduct, okay? Greek word anastrophe. It is a manner of life or behavior or deportment, okay? It's how you behave in a given situation. The next passage part of this we're going to be looking at is in the meekness, so meekness of wisdom, just so everyone knows and understands. 
meekness is not equal to weakness. There is an understanding in a lot of churches where you look at somebody who's just very weak in personality, weak in their authority, weak in their everything. And people just say, oh, isn't that person just so meek? No, they're not. They're just weak people, which isn't a slam against them. It just means that they haven't understood the strength that they have available to them. And what is that strength? That meekness is equal to submitted to authority and empowered by that authority with no agenda of your own. This is key to the whole question that I was asked. The word wisdom in this case is heavenly wisdom. All right, it is a wisdom that is given from above. It's not your own wisdom, it's not just experiential wisdom, but wisdom that God gave you for that situation to impact your life and your behavior around others. It was at that point that I got into a rabbit trail because God asked me a question. Right after I finished writing the last word on that slide, he said, what would your life look like if you had meekness in all areas? What would it look like if you were not trying to promote yourself? Well, that puts you in quite a, quite a quandary because in my own life, I don't really, and I had to ask him about this, <laughs> I don't see a whole lot of areas where I'm trying to promote myself as the person to be known. I don't see areas where it's, oh, look at me, see how wonderful and great I am. Now, there are areas that he showed me that I am promoting myself not with the area, not with the, the essence of pride behind it, but just, hey, know me. Know who I am. See me. Right? That last statement, see me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. Because, okay, we'll come back around to that. But I had to stop and ask that question. Okay, so what would happen to my life if I was not promoting myself? How submitted am I to authority? In what areas of my life am I not a fit, uh, uh, submitted? And in those areas that I am submitted, how submitted am I? Am I completely submitted? Am I only doing some of what I've been told? Am I doing all of it? And... Then to go on, what have I done with the wisdom that he's given me in these different situations? Selah. Stop and think about it. So, the example that we're going to have to start looking at here, because I found two, and one of them gets a little deeper down the rabbit hole, but I found two that are really good to look at. The first one is in John 8. Verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And the next verse, 
John 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say, or what I should say, and what I should speak. So, John 8, verse 38. I speak what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have seen with your Father. Notice the difference in the case there. Uh, let me get my laser pointer up here. There's actually two different things there. Yep, you got this Father with a capital F, and you got this Father with a lowercase f. Mm -hmm. He's talking to the people of Israel. He is referencing his Father in heaven, and because they're not following his Father in heaven, he's saying your Father, meaning your earthly Father. So, but that's actually saying two different things. One, I speak what I've seen with my father. Stop. Mm -hmm. And you do what you have seen with your father. Right. You copy your father. Yep. In your actions. Whereas he's he is speaking. actively speaking what he has seen his father doing. And that is kind of interesting because he, the scripture doesn't actually clarify at what point he has seen this happening. Okay. And we're, we're going to jump into that because first word there, speak, mm -hmm. is logos, general word. This is not specific spoken, but the general word that he would speak to people is what he has seen with his father. Now, I highlighted both of those words because they are both the same exact word in Hebrew, or Greek, I'm sorry. Horeo, to see with your eyes. This is why this is fascinating to me, because we're not given a context of time. Okay, We don't know if this is something Jesus has seen with the Father before he came as man, or if it was something he saw with the Father while he was here, having relationship with the Father while the Father was in heaven. Interestingly enough, every single one of us has access to hear from the Father to know what to speak at all times. It just goes right back into that slow into speaking, quick into hearing, and slow into wrath. And I always do that out of order because it's technically... Uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? But you have some, most of the time you have to actively stop and say, don't speak, then listen, and then respond after you've heard. That is really something else because if you're taking this straight out, if you're, if you're actually doing what, what he's calling you to do, be slow to speak and you speak what the Father says you're literally waiting for God to tell you what to say because God creates with his words yep you're letting you're waiting for God to give answer back to deal with the problem life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits that is wild Proverbs <clears throat> blessing and cursing <laughs> Well, no. to recap it, what, what Truman was saying was that God creates with his words. 
And when you put it in context of being slow to speak and quick to hear, so that you're speaking what the Father is saying, Telling you to speak. then you are bringing life into that situation with your words if you are responding correctly, if you're hearing from Him and allowing that to come out of your mouth. You're bringing life into that situation. And that's where miracles happen. Yes, it is. Miracles, healing, salvation, go on down the list. Everything that's good, mm-hmm. that's where that happens. Because you're speaking His creative voice. That's creating mm-hmm. what He's speaking to. That's what you call faith. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. See, because that matches your first one. I speak what I see, see, have seen with my father. Mm-hmm. Is that the one where he's literally talking about what he's doing? Yes. Okay. One of the ones. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now the older I get, the more I find that I kind of fall into that latter category of you do what you have seen your fathers. So. I find myself quoting my parents more often. (laughs) I find that I have very similar mannerisms to my dad. Very similar. I remember one, I think it was either uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas. We were over at their house and my dad was sitting on a chair opposite side of the room for me. And I'm watching what he's doing and I'm watching how he's speaking. And I realized I am my father's son. (laughs) 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 Not a bad thing. Okay, because I've also inherited his sense of humor, his his corny witticisms. I just I've almost got that down to a science verbatim how he does it. My mode of speech, how I talk, the way I form words and, and communicate to people. It's sort of a blend between my mom and my dad. So it's not all bad stuff. Now, mind you, we do tend to take up some bad habits from our parents, right? Everybody does. My parents did. Their parents did. Everyone in this room has. But there was a lot of good training in there. Okay, good stuff that you need for survival in life. You need to be able to function. And apart from it, I wouldn't have had the understanding of relationship with God in order to get saved when I was 18 instead of committing suicide when I was 18. (laughs) So a lot of really good stuff. Come on, PowerPoint, don't fail me. The point is, I had a father figure. Every single one of us have had father figures. The people Jesus was talking to in John 8, he was talking about their fathers and the, the role that their fathers played in their life, the model that they exemplified. Jesus, however, modeled his heavenly father. But wasn't he also speaking to them that they were following Lucifer, who was their father? Mm. You are... That's what the bottom of that line said. He's... Doing what your father does. Yes and no. Okay? There is a point in the passage where he does say, your father the devil. Okay? In this particular section, I didn't really go much further than that block of scripture. I believe he's talking about their earthly fathers. Okay. okay. What did their earthly fathers do prior to Jesus showing up? Mm. They murdered the prophets, killed the faithful. It was just not good stuff, right? 
All the religious leaders at the time were either, they were divided into two very distinct camps, the precious few that actually followed God, and the vast majority who followed whatever was going to gain them something here in this life. Most of the time that involved following after whatever kings were ruling Israel and leading the nation into sin. So Jesus modeled the Father's actions. He modeled the Father's words. And almost everything he did promoted the Father heavily. It was always about the Father. So jumping into John 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Okay? That command is an authoritative injunction. He was given the authority. He wasn't just told to speak something, but was given the authority to speak it which means he had the right to do it. And nobody could tell him, no, you can't speak that because he already had the authority from the highest authority figure in all of creation, the thing that created the creation in the first place. But again, he was only speaking in context of the Father and in the context of heaven. So, before anyone jumps to conclusions and starts saying, Oh, but Jesus spoke about himself plenty of times. And Jesus spoke about this and that and the other thing plenty of times. It wasn't always about the Father. You're right. Sort of. Because Jesus did say he was the way, the truth, and the life. But he was the way to the Father. He was the truth of the Father. He showed us life in the Father. And how do I know that? Jumping right down into the next verse, John 12, verse 50. And I know that this command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. The commandment, the authoritative injunction that Jesus was given, is everlasting life. And it is everlasting life because it is from the Father. And the Father would not tell you something that does not bring you life. Everything about the Father is life. Everything about his creation is life. Everything about his intended purpose is life. Everything outside of that is death. And the funny thing is, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, everything they did was life. Because everything they did was in tune and in step with what the Father had set up at the beginning of creation because when he set things up, life was all he intended. So to depart from how the original setup was in any small measure is death. No matter how minor it might seem, even lying, because he never intended it for us to lie, He never had us set up so that we would need to lie to protect ourselves or promote ourselves. Even a lie brings death because it breaks the setup that he had in the beginning. So again, this whole thing is just about Jesus taking us to the Father. So, to what end? The very thing it's been about since the beginning. Relationship. God desired relationship with 
someone who would love him of their own free will. Angels blew that one. <laughs> so now he has us and he created us for that purpose, for relationship. Why else would Jesus lead us to the Father? Submission. And why the submission? So that we could all understand what meekness is really all about. Again, meekness, submitted to authority and empowered by, by that authority with no agenda of your own. Jesus had no agenda of his own. None. The whole reason he was there was for the Father. Gaining us was the Father's idea. Jesus just happened to like the idea and said yes. Because Jesus craves relationship as well. So the Father said, I want these things, these, these critters I created, I want them, I want to have relationship with them, and I want to have relationship with them forever. And Jesus said, I like that idea. Let's do this. How do we make it happen? And the Father says, it's going to take a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus says, that's not going to be fun, but let's do it anyways, because I like this idea. John 10, verses 17 through 18. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my soul that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command, or authoritative injunction, I have received from my Father. Now, depending on your translation, a lot of Bibles don't actually translate that word soul as soul. They say life. Incorrect translation, the Greek word is suke, which means your mind, your will, and emotions. The Greek word pneuma is actually your spirit or your life, as it were. Once your pneuma departs from your body, your body is dead. So, most people have heard the teaching, and I'm just going to do a quick recap. This comes from the passage in John where Jesus is talking about himself being the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his, in most translations, life for the sheep. What he's saying is he lays down his soul for the sheep. What he wants comes second to what the sheep want, or I should say, everything he wants, thinks, and feels comes second to what the sheep need. And he finds out what the sheep need by taking his soul, his mind, will, and emotions and laying them down at the feet of the Father. This is submission to the Father's will, his mind, his will, and his emotions. And he gets from the Father what the Father thinks about the sheep, what the Father wants for the sheep, and what the Father feels for the sheep. And he picks that up and brings it back to us and ministers it to us. And when it's all said and done, what just happened? Meekness. He's not promoting himself. He's not trying to get the sheep to see how great he is or how wonderful a caretaker he is. He's trying to get the sheep to see the Father who has provided all of the things that they need. He has provided all the safety, all the food, all the love, all the care, all the provision, everything. So we're laying 
his soul at the feet of the Father. Where are you seeing that? Because I'm seeing it in the Martha Mary story. Mary laid, she sat at the feet of Jesus. There's the um, Boaz and Ruth story. Well, you have one of two options. You're laying down your soul for the person, or I should say you're laying down your soul to the person in question, or you're laying down your soul to the Father. Okay, if you're laying down your soul to a person, then whatever that person wants, whatever that person thinks, and whatever that person feels is the thing that you do. Okay. So you're giving into their selfishness and what they want. Mm -hmm. Okay, and now you're just glorifying all their selfishness and all their flesh, and they just think they're all that and a bag of chips and a sliced bread, sliced, piece of sliced bread, right? Yeah. Whereas... You see this person running around doing all their stupid stuff. And it's affecting you in a bad way. So now you go to the Father. And you lay down your emotions, your will, and your thinking before Him. Lord, what do you think about this person? What do you feel about this person? What do you want for this person? And now you have what His soul is for that person which means now you have to make a choice. Either you're going to put your flesh to death and do what he has shown you, or you're going to reject what he has shown you, act out in your flesh against this person, and you're going to bring death. Mm -hmm. That's what was important about the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes. Because that, in that garden, is when Jesus cried out, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it be. But if not, your will be done. Had he had not done that in the garden, we'd all be in hot water. <laughs> That, that was the deciding moment. Even though it was decided before the foundations of the earth, mm -hmm. that when it actually came to him being in his human body... He still had a choice. He still had that choice. Mm -hmm. He still had free will. He still could have said no. Mm -hmm. I don't want this. And that is meekness. So what about us? What would our lives look like if we had that same kind of submission, if we had that same kind of lack of agenda to promote ourselves, if we had a submitted soul? We would have, because again, the definition was Submitted to an authority and empowered by that authority with no agenda of your own. So think about it. Could we have empowered thinking? Could we have empowered emotions? Okay. To think things through properly from start to finish. To feel things through properly from start to finish. So that when somebody comes up and uh, attacks you verbally or physically or whatever... And you have, in that moment, 
the emotional and thinking capacity to respond correctly to them and just completely floor them with that response. How about empower desires? To want good things right from the get-go instead of having all these desires for all this different stuff that now the Lord has to come through and say, nope, you can't have that, but God, I want it. No, you can't have it. It's not good for you, but God, I want it. I just said no because it's going to hurt you, but God, I want it. <laughs> oh, no, no. We know we want it. We just don't understand the consequences right. of obtaining it. Go back one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you got to take a picture of the slide. Yeah, you only get half the screen. You only get half So, how would your life change? What if you no longer promoted yourself? John 12, verse 50. And I know that his command is ever lasting life. Now we're going to loop back to what I was about to start touching on earlier in the message. As Christians, we tend to promote ourselves. The more wounds we have, the more we tend to promote ourselves. Here's the crazy thing. The person we're promoting is not the real us. What we're promoting are the wounds. What we're promoting are the bad choices. What we're promoting is the flesh and sin. When we have dealt with these issues in our lives, and nobody's going to have all of them dealt with before they die, and nobody's ever going to have it all together and perfect and right, <clears throat> that's just the nature of maturing in Christ. You'll, you get there incrementally. You will not have attained until you're in heaven. But the more you're submitted to the authority of the Father, you are empowered by the Father to do the things that he has called you to do. You are empowered to deal with the wounds. You're empowered to deal with the choices. And as long as you are doing that, you begin to promote the Father more and more. You're not promoting yourself, and here's where it gets really crazy. The more you are promoting Him, and the more you have dealt with the wounds and choices, the more you're actually promoting who God created you to be in the first place. The fewer wounds you have, the fewer areas of hardness of heart you have, the more of the real you can come through with Jesus. Because what did God intend for us to be in the first place? Perfect without sin. And then because Adam and Eve fell, and you can't get away from being born with sin, you will by default have sin, which is not the real you. That's not what God intended. So once his spirit enters in with your spirit and kicks sin out of the body, and I'm just now realizing I could have made slides for this, <laughs> but once his spirit enters into your spirit and kicks sin out of your spirit and into your body so that your spirit is completely and totally unequivocally saved in your spirit, 
you are exactly who you are supposed to be. You are exactly as God created you to be. Now it's just the process of sanctification and getting that into your responses and into your interactions. So the more you're promoting the Father, the more people are going to see who you really are. So you don't have to promote, well, I'm a nerd and I do this and that and I work on computers and cell phone screens and I'm all that and bag of chips and a slice of bread because sliced bread are good. (laughs) But rather you can talk about the things of the Father and people will begin to see how your heart is changing and how it has changed from the past if they've known you long enough. And they'll begin to see, huh, so this weird critter that's been changing in front of me is more of a reflection of this God person he keeps talking about. And that's who he's supposed to be? Hmm. I wonder if that can work for me. So here I am, 38 years old. Got to actually go back and think. I can't remember if I'm 37 or 38. <laughs> huh? 81? Yeah, maybe 81. But... When you were born? Oh, 82. Oh, so you're I'll go with that. <laughs> so here I am, 37 years old. And I've never actually asked myself the question, what do I want to be when I grow up? Seriously. Now, originally, in my thinking, I thought I was going to be a programmer because I love programming. Code makes sense to me. If you saw back in the earlier slide, I said meekness equals sign exclamation mark. That's programming for not equal to. And then you saw the one after that. Meekness is equal, equal, equal to submitted to an authority and empowered by that authority with no agenda of your own. That is JavaScript for exactly equal to not it could be and slightly different but exactly equal to okay so when I was younger I thought I was going to be a programmer that was my thing and the Lord had to tell me you can do it for fun on the side but that's not going to be your career and I asked him why and he didn't spare any punches he said and he actually showed me If I pursued that as a career, when I got married, it would impact my marriage for the worse because I would be consumed by this programming and spend so much time in it that it would deprive my marriage and it would deprive my future children. And as soon as he showed me that, I said, okay, fine. Hobby it is. I'm good with that because I don't need anything in my life that's going to cause that kind of damage just for the sake of making me feel like I'm important or intelligent. I already know I'm intelligent. And because of Jesus, I already know I'm important. (laughs) So I don't need to promote myself in that area. So now here I am, 37 years old, never asked myself the question, what do I want to be when I grow up? Well, after this, I want to be submitted. And I want to find out who I'm supposed to be as I'm submitted and not promoting myself. Because I got a funny feeling that while I'm sitting here promoting Jesus and a walk with him, in that, I will find out what I'm supposed to be when I grow up. So, there we have it.
I was supposed to teach on discerning heavenly and earthly wisdom, and I wound up teaching on meekness because I keep picking this up because I'm going to take a drink and then I don't. What's the definition of an epistle? That was a really good question. Say that again. I think it's a short letter. The definition of an epistle. Because I got, I heard, like, heard that expression, you would be a living epistle. Well, maybe just that. It's a, it's a letter to someone. A group of people, an individual. A letter or explanation or encouragement. A letter and, and explanation and encouragement. So like a living message of the Father wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we're all supposed to be. Because Jesus said, so who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. And every single one of them, well, I shouldn't say that. Peter said, you are the Messiah, mm-hmm. the Son of God. Always. It always comes back to the Father. And the more it comes back to the Father, the more the real you will be known. Mm-hmm. And I can't stress that enough because we spend so much of our time running around promoting ourselves and getting trying to get people just to know us and to know who we are. And there are... It does. We're not supposed to be that. Right. And the more we get out of our own way and promote the Father and submit to Him and whatever His uh, direction is, not with the agenda of making sure that people know us or know what we can do or know what we are important in, but rather with the agenda of just making Him known, mm-hmm. the more people are going to see who we actually are in our spirit. Mm-hmm. So, and we know people who always walk around and say, nobody knows me. Nobody understands me. Or I don't know who I am. I say that. Yeah. Look at the father. <laughs> and that is all I've got. So Lord, we thank you for this message. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, we thank you that ultimately to know you and to make you known is where we will be known the most and known the best. And we give you the praise for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.